Hello and welcome back to The Daily Blend show with me, Reed Daily. Today is September 11th, 2020, and this is the Friday Top 5 edition of the show. Each week we feature our Friday Top 5 stories, which highlights five things I thought were interesting, notable, or culturally significant. This week we are showcasing stories from how leaders should communicate in these COVID times, how Neil Arson is changing the way that we eat one national food franchise at a time, how Zillow is now offering contactless free home tours. Twitter is taking on a subscription model, potentially. And then Red Antler's Emily Hayward explains how to get people obsessed with your brand. And of course, since I took off last week again, this week we're doing a plus five story on Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's trainer, Tim Grover. As always, this episode is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have all shows downloaded automatically. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's jump into the show. The first story comes from McKinsey, and it's talking about how leaders can engage with employees during the return to work process. And the article goes on to really four major tenets. It's really laying the groundwork and being sensitive to needs, honoring past and addressing emotions directly, mark the transition and recognizing the power of rituals, and look to the future and embracing a new sense of purpose. And why does this really matter? Well, I I think leaders have struggled here, right? You've got um, uncertainties uh, in the marketplace, uncertainties uh, at the office, and you've got your team looking to you for answers in real time. And first and foremost, leaders should recognize that they're not going to have all of the answers and they should be transparent and candid with their staff that they're not going to have all the answers. And conversely, I think staff should look at leaders and say, I'm not expecting you to have all of the answers. Just be transparent with me and be strong communication and over communicate. And I think above all, it's just really transparency in both directions from top down of just what we're thinking and the different um, lenses we're taking and different evaluation criteria. And then from a bottoms up, it's kind of like, how are you feeling? How are you know? How's the emotional uh, state of working from home or coming back in the office? And uh, it's going to be interesting because you've got different organizations who are taking stances like Facebook and Google's who are saying, you know, you can work from home um, for the next year where you've got other organizations who are very um, – excited and uh, want to get staff back in the office as soon as possible. I think uh, the biggest thing is just making sure that you're doing what's right for your organization. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And uh, constantly taking uh, pulse checks of your staff to make sure everyone's feeling good and comfortable and that you've got the right working environment for your team. The second story comes in from Forbes with Neil Arson, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering your last name. Um, He's been sort of a premier um, fixer or writer of ships for the fast food industries with the team from Roar Capital down in Atlanta. Um, Some of the notable brands he's uh, had his footprint on is Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Jimmy John's, and rather than retreating, or being sort of cash sensitive, um, he and his team are taking the opposite approach and they're doubling down during this time. 
And you know, the article really talks about some of the investment uh, thesis they're making and some of the the moves that they're making. And I, I really wanted to use this article more to talk about how restaurants in general can and have started making pivots or different uh, identifying different revenue drivers. And I think Neil and his team are sort of tapping into this. And when I think about um, restaurants, they're really different revenue drivers for the restaurants, right? You've got your traditional dining experience of sit down, you've got your fast casual, you, you can have your fast food, you can have your delivery, you can even have retail. And I think what I'm really interested in from both sort of national franchises as well as the mom and pop local hero restaurants in your own towns is how they can maximize the different revenue drivers in their location. I know one of the facilities um, in my town was traditional dining for forever and now has moved to in sort of the back of the building a fast casual kind of like a Quidoba um, on the right side of their facility, a different fast casual in Mexican. They're, uh, they're doing delivery and they're even starting to sell both um, from a retail standpoint on their own footprint and then in third parties around town. And this is just an example, but I think restaurants really need to look at, you know, where are we um, most vulnerable and how can we, you know, leverage the food we're making and the products that we have across these different revenue drivers to maximize the facility's usefulness uh, while folks are not necessarily sitting in the dining experience. And, you know, this will be very interesting to see for some of the fast casual and um, quick service restaurants and how they can look at different uh, revenue channels uh, within their footprint um, to maximize um, the revenue generated for each location. The third story comes in that Zillow is set to launch self-guided um, tours for diff different homes and digital floor plans. And, you know, I think in this COVID world and also this digital and mobile world, I don't think this is really a shock um, that Zillow is actually moving into this um, and offering this capability to sellers and buyers. But what I was more interested in and kind of where I'm interested in following this story and kind of the capabilities they activate is is Zillow going to start to move into um, really trying to replace your agent or your broker right and it's just saying that you can literally list your house we'll do a virtual or digital tour and you can sell your house uh, to a buyer and they never have to deal with a broker they never have to deal with um, actually physically going on site and it's all a seamless experience and whether or not it's Zillow or other, you know, entities that sort of play in this um, residential retail or residential real estate space, it, it's just going to be interesting how we remove some of the layers um, of middlemen or brokers in this um, space and how we help um, individuals get to their properties faster uh, or more efficiently either through these digital um, tools, but also moving the sort of close period down from like 60 days to 30 days to 15 days um, and 50 days is, is probably a little bit um, aggressive, but I think you get the, the point here on this story. So um, cool capabilities and uh, continue to keep an eye on what are some of the moves that Zillow and Similars are going to make. The next story comes in that Twitter is considering moving to a subscription model. 
And I think this is interesting, right? Because you've got Twitter who is recognizing the fact that they need to find new revenue streams, uh, that the advertising uh, supported model isn't the only way for them to capture dollars. And what I like is that I, I'm always happy to pay a premium for these content services as long as the you know, spend is worth uh, the incremental quality in uh, content, either from written form, audio, or video. Um, I've started doing this with TechCrunch, and I kind of like some of the videos and access to deeper stories. But um, from a Twitter standpoint, I'll be curious the approach they take because, you know, it's these bite-sized um, information that you consume, and they're not really the long-form content. And when they do go to long-form content, it's more linking to another source like a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, whatever your favorite uh, subscription is or where you sort of get your news from. Now, what I am also interested to see is, you know, Biz Stone, who was one of the founders of Twitter, went on to start Medium. And Medium was trying to solve this content um, predicament that if you pay a little bit more, um, we can give you better content. So it will be interesting to see if, you know, Jack from Twitter and Biz kind of get back together and say, how do we fix this problem? Or, or rather, how do we enhance our existing capabilities at Twitter and offer a premium service to our end users um, that really merits the, you know, one to five dollars a week or whatever they're going to end up charging um, for a subscription based model? I also think it's interesting to see that more and more companies are moving to a subscription based model. Um, you know, I've talked about this on the show before of how Apple really positioned themselves um, away from just being a product company into a SaaS model. And what I like about it, and I think what investors in the market likes about it, is you kind of can see where your um, revenue is going to hit from quarter to quarter as a result of these SaaS models. And once you get folks hooked, you can kind of see your predictors of you know, where we think we're going to land. So from a business standpoint, um, it's a it's a smart move for most organizations to try to move into some sort of SaaS-related model. So uh, interested to see where Twitter heads with this. And uh, for now, just, you know, follow us on Twitter at Daily Blend and um, get the greatest tweets of your life. The fifth story comes in from Red Antler's Emily Hayward and explaining how brands or how people should be obsessed with your brand. And so some context of who Emily is, she was one of the founders or is one of the founders of Red Antler, and they're the branding company behind such brands as Casper, Warby Parkers, um, etc. Um, if you go to dailyblend.com, I'm going to link to her book here and to the um, TechCrunch article, which has a really nice little a uh, video of her just articulating um, you know, the value prop that her company brings and how companies and, and um, brands really need to think about branding, how they should become obsessed with it, and you know that it really makes an impact to how people perceive your brand, product, or service. Um, the reason for this post or making mention of this is Emily just came out with a book. I actually just purchased it. It came in the mail yesterday. Haven't read it yet, but once I do, I'll give a deep dive of sort of the lessons learned from the book. But excited to just dive into this book and, and better understand Emily, her company, and their thinking because I think when I look at the brands that they've helped work or steward, you know, the messaging, marketing, color scheme, everything is simple. And it's very um, 
relatable and it's not complex in thinking. And I think more brands need to, to do actually less and really just have these kind of core tenets of color, theme, sound, whatever. And, um, you know, it helps um, individuals relate to the brand and remember the brand. So um, go check out her book and have a listen to the TechCrunch uh, video. All right, so I took off last week again. I know, I know, I know. And so I figured I'd do the five plus story again. So this one comes in from Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover. And if you watched The Last Dance, uh, Tim actually had a, a really nice little feature on there. And it was talking about how he worked with Michael and watched Michael's videos and, and really how he um, helped keep Michael healthy and sort of the same approach uh, Kobe kept on you know getting knee injuries and having sort of pains uh, kind of in the middle early middle stages of his careers and this had a lot to do with the fact that Kobe entered the league at such a young age and his body was just beat up and what it really focuses on or what Tim articulates is you had a lot of people who were around Kobe who wanted the best for him and actually he was overdoing it, overtraining, overworking, over rehabbing, everything. And so Tim sort of analyzed both, you know, what Kobe needed on the floor uh, for the games, but also what was happening off the court and really acted sort of as like a project manager to streamline, you know, the different activities Kobe was going through between practice, rehab, physio, you know, offsite training and really dialed it back and, and really get real prescriptive with what he needs. And I think this is sort of, you know, there are translations to the business world of, you know, oftentimes you're asked to do a lot of stuff and told that it's all important and everything's a priority. And I think that's just such a miss. I think when individuals look at what they're doing, it's kind of like, what's, what are my inputs to the greatest outputs? Or what can I do to get me to my end result faster, more efficiently, so I don't waste time or energy? And, you know, if you watch the sort of 17-minute video with Tim, he's just a very passionate individual who clearly um, has been successful working with both Michael and Kobe, arguably some of the top five basketball players of all time. And it's just interesting to see how he was so focused on observing and watching. So um, enjoy that video and um, – you know, go and watch The Last Dance. What a great documentary. All right, that does it for this week's edition of the Friday Top 5. As always, you can hit that subscribe button and have this podcast downloaded automatically to your device on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast episodes. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe at Daily Blend, D-A-I-L-E-Y, blend at twitter instagram facebook etc and don't forget to follow me on twitter at read daily thanks for listening and enjoy your weekend